When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you. Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror. We'll talk about what worked and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe someone we shouldn't. He turned out to be a completely unreliable asshole. Take it away, boys. And thank you, uh, ethereal woman. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to Dismembering Horror. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. And yeah, as she just said, as I just said, hello, everyone. Chugging along here. I think Tim and I had been getting... Um, uh, up to our up to our necks in new release films, so felt like swinging the pendulum in another direction with a oft recommended older film from 1945, a horror anthology, Dead of Night. Is this the first horror anthology ever? Because it kind of feels like it. No, I did my research. It's not, Damn. and nor is it the first horror anthology for us. Do you want to try naming the five that we've done, Tim, or should I just list them off? Five? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just going to list them off. No, I got this. Asylum. Ding! <laughs> um, um, <laughs> that's the only one I can think All of. All right. Then Ghost Stories, another oh, British yeah, one. good. Quite On. Okay, quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black Sabbath. Right. And horror stories from South Korea. Wow. <laughs> and now today, Dead of Night. As I said, from 45. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Or since this is a British film, they kept referring to it as uh, in the special features for, for this film and everything. All the British men talking about it. They weren't using the word anthology film. They'd call it a portmanteau. Wow. Or portmanteau, uh, some yeah, portmanteau. I think is how it's said or spelled. That's anyway. pretty exciting. Using <laughs> using other languages to describe things, yeah, it makes well, you I mean, sound more professional. Yeah, or British at least. Yep. Cool. Well, we like to start off here as we do with a trailer to further dive into our film. Unless there's anything else, you ready for that, Tim? No. Although I will say, of our horror anthologies. This is certainly one of them. Okay. Uh, it is. <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean by that. We'll find out soon enough after our trailer here. So here we go. All right. Not whatever you're listening to this, whether it's morning, afternoon, or night, here we go into Dead of Night. Know this part of the world at all? No. I've never been here before. Like some tea, wouldn't you? Do you take milk and sugar? Milk and sugar, Mr. Craig. Milk and sugar, Mr. Craig. Still there. So it isn't a dream this time. I beg your pardon? Yes, it isn't a dream this time. I must be going out of my mind. You see, everybody in this room is part of my dream. Everybody. Gosh. Good Lord, really? Very extraordinary. You're kidding. What, all of us? I can only tell you that when I came into this room, I recognized you all, instantly. Having seen all our photographs in the newspapers, I take it up to those bathrooms. <laughs> of course, you may have seen me on the sports page. Motor racing's my life. Ah! 
Okay, okay. Well, Tim, to add some uh, definitiveness to the mystery surrounding what you thought of this film, how about we rate it next like we like to do? Shall I or shall you go first? Why don't you go first, Ryan? All right. Well, per our rating system, what would I tell myself to do (laughs) regarding this film? Uh, Avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it. I'd say rent it um, and it... It reached certain levels where I could imagine being excited down the line to a buy it, but it's not not quite there for me right now. It uh, is hands down my favorite wraparound story I've ever seen for a horror anthology film. I like that it didn't have... We'll get into some, some things, thoughts I had maybe on length I'm not so sure about as far as the individual stories, but it was nice that it didn't seem like the more typical, just more typical, just three long ones that kind of just feel like they go on. That's kind of common for a lot of anthologies. And it, it does for me. And this is, I think why, you know, I'm on the higher end for it. I just, I've I've probably said this before and just talking about what's important for movies for me, but it feels like a kind of new revelation for me of sorts. I'm just trying to like, put in terms we can talk about what is so what is important for me about uh, 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 what what is necessary for a film to be a good film how, how how do I how do I parse what makes a good film or not and it's uh if it has gravitas meaning <laughs> like weight depth and amount of emotion or weight and depth of emotion and the last two, or the the end story that that this film is famous for, the ventriloquist dummy story, and just what the wraparound ended up being, and that final conclusion with the wraparound, like it did that stuff in the finale that was like right up there with Carnival or Souls or something mm-hmm. like that, of just getting at this deep, uh, deeply affecting, uh, reality bending horror that I just love uh, in general but especially when it's used so well. I could also can think of a better... I mean, I'm just going to go on now, so I'll just... You get it. I like it. We'll go on with more of what I liked about it in uh, our next big section. So how about you, Tim? I'd agree with all of that. I'd say I'm a I'm a rent, too. Um, I think that, you know, you got to be in the mood for this style. Well, I need to be in the mood for this style. Um, and... I mean, I guess just unfortunately I was really tired. So it's just coincidental or circumstantial that I was sort of like, I I was like intellectually, yeah, this is good. Emotionally, I was like, God, I'm really tired. <laughs> so those things don't usually go together. So we can you know, always maybe... reschedule, Tim. I'd rather have you, if you're ever tired, well, you don't know. feel like you have to watch it, you know? I wanted to watch it. I just found myself being like, damn, I'm super tired today i went on a really long hike (laughs) so it's just one of those things next time i'll plan the hike around uh (laughs) when i watch but yeah i i kind of just would would parrot exactly what you said about all of it um there's nothing nothing else that i would uh that i felt differently than than how you described it so there you go all right rent it rent it ding 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 cool All right, well, then, as tired as you were, should you care to engage with the summary for this film for us (laughs) and tell us what happened? 
Sure. Okay. So we, our wraparound story, we begin with our wraparound, which is um, Mr. Crane, or no, Craig, not, not Crane. Um, he's shown up to a, a, like an estate out in the countryside. Um, and when he gets there, there's like six or so people there. And he kind of has like a brain malfunction. And they're like, man, what's wrong with you? And he's like, well, this is exactly a dream I've had. So he's having like this sort of dream deja vu thing that we all feel, which is always a cool experience I had it the other day. It was fun. And he describes that in his dream, he can kind of say like, it's not really super specific, but I, you know, I've met you and that this was sort of going on and I've met you and they're all like, well, we all exist in the world. Maybe you've seen us somewhere. And he's like, no, no, I'm pretty sure this is exactly my dream. And there's a doctor there who is sort of, you know, they're playing off of who's the skeptic of the group. But then they all, the the way we get into the actual anthology stories is each person sort of describes a strange event or story that they're somehow connected to. And um, they're all, they all kind of live in sort of a supernatural or a, what's another word for, I guess they're all kind of supernatural. They're, yeah. They all kind of revolve around death and like, folk tale style kind of stories and how many do we have six total uh we have the hearse driver the christmas party the haunted mirror the golfer's story and the ventriloquist dummy so one two three four five so it's five plus okay so plus the wraparound so we get to the sort of the end and throughout things that that Mr. Craig has said will happen or he kind of has predicted based on his dream. Every time we come back between stories, like one of those things kind of occurs. And then we get to the end and he effectively wakes up from said dream. And we go, oh, how lame. It was all just a dream. But then the real twisteroo is that he receives the phone call from the guy at the estate in the countryside saying, can you come visit? He's like, man, this feels really familiar. And the credits roll as he drives up to the estate once again, which is the opening shot of the film. Yeah, and it's a perfect setup. We get immediately what's all going on because he says at the beginning of the movie, one aspect about the dream that when he's sharing everyone with it is that he always forgets it immediately upon waking. (laughs) Yeah. So dream stuff is cool. Exactly. And tied with horror stuff can be some of the best stuff, I think. Yep. Agreed. All right. All right. We did it. Check, check, check with that. That means we can move on to our first big section here. I think we're ready. Let's do it. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked for you? All right. Well, I already set it up front. This wraparound, Tim. It was great. Like from, I mean, what we just said coming off of it, how it has in its not only is it about story wise on face value 
about a guy trapped in a dream, a nightmare, and reliving it, uh, you know, ad, ad nauseum or infinity in an infinite loop or whatever, horrific in itself that we get at the end. But there are just touches throughout that play off of that idea in the filmmaking sense, too, I thought was so incredible, whether it was how the lighting just kind of changes as it goes on, gets a little mm, weirder. Mm-hmm. Just the way he sort of um, acting wise in his performance, the way how he plays like he's been there before. Um, I thought it was fun how all the other players in the house, they they aren't all skeptical towards him. It's really just the one guy. So I don't know. It makes it feel all that much more just sort of like we're questioning it. It's not the case of just like he's the one crazy one in the group and everyone's doubting him. But it sort of allows us to be questioning along with him. Is this a dream or not? And following all that really well. Um, Yeah, that was super smart in that regard. And uh, stylistically reflective in the film itself. Yeah, I feel like this construct of the wraparound it's not i mean it's not like in other ones it's so different um asylum seems kind of maybe the closest in in that like you've got a guy arriving at a place and then you know is presented with this like everybody here has a different story right or i guess like horror stories too (laughs) yeah was a little vague uh if they one happened to her anyway we don't talk about that movie but yes kind of a common (laughs) thing in horror anthologies but for some reason i think because of the era and the style um yeah i just felt like a, a a solid anchor like i felt grounded in that thing and like interested i think interested kind of more in what these stories were individually with these other people like i was curious about those other people and like you know how they were involved or whatever even though like the golf one is probably the most removed where it's like a guy kind of just telling a a story about other guys but even so they all felt like it felt really cohesive i guess and then especially having the the kind of finale, I guess, of of Mr. Craig in the dream, like having it really turn into this crazy nightmare where all of those stories are are melding together and he's trying to escape this nightmare. Is, it's just awesome. That's what that's something that's really hard to do in horror anthologies. Then because of that, I don't think you really see is how can you how do you tie together all the little stories into as part of the conclusion how do you take elements from them all so to literally do that we have this dream reality we've set up and it was so great because it was like for you know whether it's him seeing the bus driver uh, or the hearse driver or whatever you call it you know say we have room for one more or the 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 hide and seek kids Mm -hmm. and the ghost kid it was like they had all stepped up another level of sinister once they had reached this level accosting him at the end as really incredible uh, and smart you know well and, and just i think this is something that i'm always excited about is that when you can depict the actual kind of feeling of a dream or a nightmare like that's an accomplishment i don't think it's i don't think it's an easy thing to do and you have to kind of tap into this strangeness that exists within dreams it's like weird everything 
everything is connected, but everything else is also just complete random chaos. Yeah. So having that feel and having the terror of that, you know, just it seemed like it was just the right like note or frequency. I was like, yeah, I've had that dream or that feeling in a dream. They pushed it exactly as far as they could, I think, where you had these great shots, you know, once it was really escalated and heating up at the end and he was having all the visions from the dream where you had those like the classic kind of maybe this is what made me think Carnival of Souls. Well, lots of overlap with that, but all the these now uh, dream story entities kind of coming Mm. at camera you know hands outstretched lifting him up in the over the head shot and then just ending with this uh i mean this is the shot i thought was going to go out on at first i'm like oh they should have made it go out there before the actual twist came but it's like he's in a doorway that's kind of then in a twilight zone way descending or going off into darkness oh it's just like so good that's what i mean as far as reaching a kind of pinnacle, taking it as far as you can take it to get at that dream feel, but not feeling like it's just too, too stylized. Um, but then just talking about it, this kind of reminded me, like how you were saying, you know, getting at that dream feel. I was just trying to think of more examples of how that's throughout, including at the setup. Like his whole, his whole uh, arrival feels like a dream. Mm-hmm. In that sense where you kind of show up a location and it feels like, oh, I'm supposed to be here, but then you aren't really sure why you're there. Like in the film sense, we only have a sort of vague reasoning that he's an architect and he's this is a place he has to do some kind of work at. But as soon as he gets there, that just kind of goes out the window. And it's just like we meet right. this group of people casually as if they're all just supposed to be there. Uh, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it felt strange from the get-go in that way, but just in a way where it could be real, it couldn't really put your finger on it. Yeah, the, they did a smart thing in that he shows up very kind of casual, I'm supposed to be here, and there, and he, pl- like, the actor plays this and or is directed to play this just slight hesitancy of, like, looking around He's like, you know, business as usual with a little like thing in the back of his head. And that's such a cool feeling that it gives us because we immediately like clue into that and go, oh, what's going on? And then and then they double down on like when he walks in the door, we've already sort of established that he's there on business. And the second he walks into a room and there's a bunch of people, he like freezes and we go, oh, something's like off. Something's bad. Something's not the way it's supposed to be. Just by him having this like hesitance or, or you know, freeze moment, we go, this is not how things are supposed to go. So it's just a really simple and like effective device because we've, you know, we've already been kind of, I guess primed by the hesitancy at the onset so that when he walks into the room and has that moment of of you know what the hell's going on we we are completely on board with oh now now the story has begun we don't we need to know what what's weird why is it 
different? What is the deal? And so just like forcing those questions by the simplest act of of a little hesitation when he's like getting out of the car and a little sideways glance over his shoulder when he's meeting the whatever the the guy who owns the house or whatever foley they're the, they're so minute and simple but right away we go uh-oh and i just think it's it's so effective and simple that like i'm like I'm like, damn, we should be doing that all the time. <laughs> like well, in in any horror film, you just the sideways glance or like the look over your shoulder without explanation is crazy effective. <laughs> well, what it also gets at and can only do in this story, it's really interesting, is that his experience is kind of what it feels like to be in a dream where as far as amount of lucidity like i know there are people who maybe they do often actually have like full-on lucid dreams it's something i've always been interested in and trying to like you can kind of practice it or try to Mm -hmm. get better at it but as that level that my dreams typically go at i can have that like bit of lucidity where it's like this place is like if it's a place that I've dreamed of before and it's kind of like a recurring locale over the years for me in my dream worlds uh I know like oh I've been here before and and then I can't say to myself I can't get as far as saying to myself I've been here before in a dream but Mm -hmm. I can say like this I've been here before in a something familiar that happens in a different state of mind. You know, like I don't know what a dream is in that state because I'm in a dream. And if I went any further, then I could activate lucidity or whatever the terminology would be. So just, (laughs) I don't know. It just puts me right into that world. Is this cool how uh, it's just working on that level too, his um, performance and level of observation and lucidity. Yeah. Yeah, I love it in dreams. It's funny to me to think about this because, like, I don't know that inside the dream I'm having these thoughts, but certainly when I'm trying to remember the dream afterwards, I'm like, oh, that was weird. That was off. Like, for example, a lot of time, kind of what you're describing, it's like you'll be in a room that is a room that you are familiar with and your brain in the dream knows that it's, let's just say, your apartment. But the apartment will possess things in the dream that are completely abstract or or like random and and make no sense once you've woken up and thought about it. But during the dream, you're just accepting it, right? Like there's a wall missing and it's entering into an auditorium and you're like, you don't think twice about it in the dream a lot of the time, or at least I don't. You just sort yeah. of accept it for what it is. But when you like wake up, you go, whoa, what was that all about? So I, so many of, I do keep a dream diary a lot. Nice. And when I look back at it, so many of my things are like describing a location as it was like a water park meet it, meets a, a government official building, you know, meets a, <laughs> yeah. a, a Airbnb in a forest. And I'm yep. like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. That's, that's sure. what it was like walking around there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that stuff. It, it's so cool. And I guess what I'm getting at with this film is that in a way, they're kind of mixing those two things. Like he in the moment inside of the dream, or at least I guess that's what we are led to believe eventually he does have a moment of like oh 
this isn't a dream. I'm just going to accept it as my reality. But that's kind of what I'm saying is that when we are dreaming, at least for me, that's often the case. I don't even have the moment of like questioning in the dream. I just am accepting it. And like, that's such a cool, weird, just component, I guess, of dreams and to, and to kind of get it with this in a way, I think it, it helps with the anthology style because it leads us into the stories in a way that we just accept it. Mm-hmm. We're like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, that's sure. Now we're in this, we're in this person's story. Well, let's get into some of these stories. Uh, All right. The hearse driver, the first one. <laughs> I thought it set the stage in a great way, just as a film overall, and not even just in the short, uh, the story itself, but being so short, it just felt mm-hmm. so refreshing in a horror anthology just to have a first one that just kind of was like, okay, again, I don't know why it's a complaint of mine, but I mean, I guess it's kind of cool if they're good or whatever, but just to like have this 20 to 30 minute, I don't know. It, it's never, uh, uh, yeah. Length story. It's just never really been my favorite in horror anthology. So it started off great. Just classic twilight zone kind of oh, feel and style. Totally. Like it reached a level of, and I'll just use this word since I set it up at the beginning where it reached that gravitas for me that I want when it's a movie's fully doing something was when he, when things get quiet and he looks towards the curtain and the way, like just something about that silence and the combination of looking at the curtain. And I think we might've been dollying into it a bit. It mm-hmm. just, all of a sudden I just felt this like sense of dread and like, what is behind the curtain almost in that, <laughs> like, you know, uh, hobo behind uh the alley and mohan drive like, right, the setup right yeah. of just that kind of suspense of knowing something wrong is behind it so then to have the reveal of this it's like a it's yeah it's not a hearse even though it's called the hearse driver maybe it is an old-fashioned looking hearse it looks more like a little bus or buggy or something well but, the first thing is a hearse it's okay. i mean it's an old school hearse like horse and carriage style but we but with that setup and creepy context of the curtain and looking through it, it was just like the context just made it so when we see it, it was like we know what this is immediately. Mm-hmm. Like it just felt like, oh, oh, it's it's death here to take him out. Right. Which right. if it was just him opening it casually, it looked like it could be normal or casual enough. There wouldn't be anything sinister about it. So I just thought it was one of those incredible examples of where because of this context, just immediately had this weight to it of just, ooh, this is scary. It's don't want it. This is this bad news, buddy. I just, I love the way that they kind of mess with, right off the bat, they mess with our sense of time too. And they do it, it's not so abrupt that we we like right away are th- you know, thrown off it, it because they've set up that he's a little delirious anyway. So like when he gets up and he goes to the window and opens it, it and it's daytime suddenly, like she just shut that curtain and it was nighttime. Right. And then he opens it as daytime. It's like, oh, well, did he fall asleep and wake back up? Like it just it makes us question everything. This is a race car driver who is waking up in the hospital room. We should say if anyone hasn't right. seen this, even though we hope you have and you're joining us that way. Yeah. So this race car driver is in a bad accident during a race and he wakes up in a hospital and then he like kind of falls in love with his nurse, um, which, you know, I get that. 
Which, yeah, uh, I'll save that for things of note. Anyway, sorry, you're saying. So, yeah, just the sense of time and, and like the weird like compression of that is a thing that happens in dreams as well, which I, I love right away. I'm like, even though at this moment, we don't really know that the whole movie is in that context. Again, they're just setting up these sort of commonalities in dreams, the feeling of being in a dream without pointing it out. It just is what the movie is, which is just, it's great. We, I mean, there are examples of this in every single story throughout where you're like, oh, that's a dream thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, one of my favorite examples of that was in the next story, the Christmas party, which was we have, I guess, like teenagers with some kids who they play yeah at a Christmas party. They decide to play hide and seek. So after sort of getting led off to a far corner of the house by like this dude trying to make moves on her, she then leaves him and goes even further and meets a little boy and interacts with him. And then the end when she rejoins the party realizes, oh shit, that wasn't a real boy. It was a ghost boy who was killed here because this was it was right. The story that I was being told that it's haunted ended up being true. Little boy was murdered here. But as far as, yeah, what you're saying, just connecting to that dreamlike location and feel and, and logic and all that. This film was incredible. I mean, this this short is really incredible for me in a cert of capturing a certain feeling that I'd never seen captured in a movie before, but that's really specific. It's adjacent to um, that idea of liminal spaces I know mm-hmm. that you are interested in. It actually got at it a bit. I just finished reading uh, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley oh, nice. Jackson. But it's that kind of feel you get. And when you're a kid, you can maybe tap into this a bit more when places by default just seem bigger. But it feels like when, let's say, you've left the party at a house to like go to the bathroom, and then after that leaving, you like then take another hall to an even further room where you just have this sense of loneliness and disconnection. Yet there's also this feeling of like ghosts and maybe a non-literal sense are just kind of there with you. Like you almost don't feel alone, but it's not as far as like, Oh, I'm, I am some, someone's in this room with me, like a ghost feel it's you, you just have a certain presence. It's more than, Maybe that is the liminal space feeling, but it doesn't feel quite that because it uh, maybe that is that feeling of you're just passing through something that but the space itself feels like, oh, it's a sitting room, let's say, but I'm just passing through it. I'm not actually going to be sitting in it. So it's a a treating a non-liminal space liminally. Maybe that's the feel for a bit. But another way to put it, hopefully I captured it by setting the scene, is just like you're kind of just really separating from the warmth of the other people you're with and kind of finding this lonely corner of a house. Uh, So then to insert that idea and what plays up that idea is to meet a full-bodied ghost boy, which I was already just kind of wrapped up in that spell of the feel when we met him that I wasn't even doing like what I should be doing on a horror movie and being like, oh, is he a ghost? What is he? What's up here? It was just, I had this feeling of like, yeah, something's wrong, but we're just, it's okay. We're just kind of meeting him now and all right and this. So it did kind of hit me at the end uh, of that horror. Oh yeah, that, it wasn't like a twist, 
but it it kind of hit me in a way like oh i just went off and met this ghost boy Ooh, uh, uh. anyway all that it was really incredible this uh kind I, of unseemingly so in this story yeah i i think i agree very much like the way i took it the thing that i really like is is to your point when we when we are alone in spaces that continue on like a space and then another space behind that space and then another space behind that space we're getting further and further away from like our touchstone to reality which is like the group and like i can think of experiences like that in life like when you're in the when you're in your middle school after everybody is left and you're like going down the hall there's just that feeling of like almost endlessness because there's nobody around. And then to get to the end of it and there's a kid in a totally like livable room at the back of all of these like rooms upon rooms. I mean, they're in the attic at one point. How did she get from the attic into a hallway, into a stairwell, into a back room? Like what is going on? Like what is this space? It's so cool. So like the eeriness that, that comes along with that kind of thing is just so effective. Yeah, I was going to say another example for anyone who knows this uh, example of this feeling I'm trying to describe. It's like when you're three doors uh, getting into the heart of the castle in Super Mario 64. It's <laughs> yeah. this, this eerie feeling sets in. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very cool. Um, just to backtrack for a second, just to, just to make a, a point of a thing that worked. That bus stunt in the hearse driver one, whatever that is, I guess it's probably a model. I think it's a model. They they look like obvious models to me. Yeah, yeah. It it's so badass for 1945. I was like, damn, look at look at this intense bus crash into like over a cliff. Awesome. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, Yeah, so two good ones uh, to start us off, and then we get into. The Haunted Mirror, which started to uh, go a little longer than the first two, mm-hmm. but I was still into this. This one had a lot of yeah. neat stuff going for it. The Just the whole conceit of the idea is basically the, the setup, again, if you didn't watch it, but we hope you did, is uh, looking, the, the, uh, yeah, they, the couple gets a mirror where it turns out a husband murdered a wife while looking in the mirror, I guess, or I forget how it's set up exactly. Something so the like setup that. is that this, you know, there's this, I think they're newlyweds or whatever. There's a married couple and she, the, the wife buys her husband a, an antique mirror. Um, and the husband starts to see a totally different room and himself in this totally different room with a four post bed and a fireplace. And it's sort of an older style. They're in a pretty modern room themselves, but then he's seen this older room through the mirror and he starts to kind of get obsessed with it and like, just stay home and stare at it. So she goes, she gets freaked out. She goes back to the, the antique dealer and says, Hey, you know, like, where'd you get that mirror? I noticed that there's this four post bed that looks sort of the similar style. Is that from the same room? And he goes, Oh yeah, it was all from the same room, same person, same house. And the story of that person and why we have all of this stuff is that this guy went crazy 
um, because his he was an in like he was I forget paralyzed or something like that. So he's stuck in his room where the mirror was, his bedroom, and his wife was going out without him, obviously living her life. But he becomes suspicious that she's cheating on him, and it drives him crazy, and he ends up uh, strangling her to death and then slitting his own throat. And so all of that bad juju is is trapped in the mirror and the wife realizes this and goes back and has to try and snap her husband out of this because he's becoming or beginning to behave in that same trance-like way and he ends up essentially becoming or like acting out the same thing where he thinks that she's cheating on him with somebody else and uh, he tries to kill her. And then she breaks the mirror. I was yelling like, just break the mirror. And then she did. <laughs> All right. Uh, full, on, full on summary. Uh, you were not too tired. It seems like <laughs> you're able to follow no. that well. <laughs> uh, so just that conceit, the idea of seeing another room in the mirror and one that's has this like exotic or glamorous or fancy allure to it. It's another mm-hmm. really specific kind of horror from that. I don't know if it was kind of quite like it's somewhere between like like in 2001 a space odyssey hmm. of you know you have that room at the ending that you know it's not a real thing that it's you know set up for you somehow by unseen uh, forces or entities. But it's like you still feel the allure of like it's nice in itself, though. Or it's like a siren in, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of uh, furniture form almost of just like (laughs) roaring fireplace, four post intricate design bed. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. So there's always that kind of interesting horror for like where it's a place or a thing you want or should be comforting, but you know something's off about it. This is really interesting and simple enough that it's not like flashy or anything. It really worked. I think that this construct of the horror surrounding a trance or anything that is hypnotizing Mm. is really, really cool. To me, it's like it's so scary because I think, oh, God. That would be horrible. Like, what if you're the person being entranced and and you can't break out of that? Like, the the in the the implicit lack of control within that is really frightening. I mean, I think it's why I think cults are scary because they've they've hypnotized you in a way. It's you know you're becoming indoctrinated into this thing and you kind of don't even realize it. Like, any any time somebody is. manipulating your brain into like forgetting who you are or your touchstones to like reality is really scary and then like to be the person outside of that seeing somebody else uh be the victim of that is also really scary because it's like oh no how do i break this person out of that like are they too far gone is there are they just like are they lost forever like that's a really scary you know concept so I, re- I I like I love that there's a like a physical object that you can break that spell by breaking like that's just fun and cool. Yeah. Being driven to kill his wife kind of like uh, the overlook to make another Kubrick yeah. reference here. 
Uh, my other favorite aspect of that one, the haunted mirror, was just the dude's monologue of describing the evil that he's being allured to. It was the kind of thing where it felt like it was best. I don't know if it only works this way, but it is definitely best delivered by a British man in the 1940s. You know what I mean? Just like the style that inherently comes from all of that. It was just perfect. And he killed it and just went for it. It was the kind of thing that, you know, maybe it's harder to pull off nowadays or being too on the nose. But when he's, you know, just saying things like uh, they're just so, so clear and, and as, oh, a force of evil and putting it in those terms. But when he does it as well as he did it and with that style, British man in the 1940s. I was, I just ate it up. I loved it. Yeah, that's cool. And then, if uh, nothing else for that, we have the golfer's story next. The golfer's story, written or based on an H.G. Wells short story. Kind of, sorta. Yeah, we'll Which get to is that. Weird. So cool. strange. Side note. It's uh, it's one that's kind of a different tone from the others. All of a sudden, we have a bit more of a, a lighthearted one even mm-hmm. though it's kind of story and themes in a couple moments are are dark in a certain way it's almost like like you know when you're watching the twilight zone movie and the spielberg kick the can segment comes on and you're like whoa this is weird and different and doesn't fit the <laughs> rest it's kind of like yeah kind of like that but then what it, it did allow is kind of almost uh, a breather in a way yeah. to then get into the horror for the last one but i'll admit this one was probably the one just maybe because i didn't see it coming that tone change that I just kind of uh, tuned out a bit was longer and more talky than the others. Um, It was goofy. I mean, you know, yeah, I wouldn't say in a bad way, but I agree. It was just a a different tone had sort of a a light heartedness to it, even though the dude literally just like kills himself into a river, which is really dark. So it's like, but like the way, he does it and how his hat sort of floats to the top when he submerges like just little details like that made it still feel kind of irreverent and funny mm-hmm. i mean yeah I, that was a moment a that i mentioned ball in it for god's sake <laughs> no that was definitely the moment when i uh meant when i said <laughs> it was something more eerie was him killing himself that way but just the overall story was cool of their their uh I don't know, into weird like male competition stuff over a woman and putting it into a game and then being like haunted by that friend, but they're your friend. So it's like, it's not quite a haunting. I don't know. It's interesting ideas in it. And I, it's the one that I'll be interested to see again someday. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of, I felt like there was a number of, eye roll moments i guess if you will or just like <laughs> side glances to to brit on the couch where she is like half watching and and like she would hear some sort of overt sexist thing and it kind of like i could feel her like side glancing to me and i'd be like yeah i heard it too it's this is antiquated language yeah and comedy all that i don't right. know well, if <laughs> we don't have a lot to good to say about that one, then we can move to the big star of the show, the one that's most famous for it felt like rightly so, the big finisher, the ventriloquist's dummy. This one 
I do think uh, deserves the acclaim and praise. I thought it was incredible. Uh, That's pretty scary. Yeah, specifically, what I just was so taken with was the Michael Redgrave main dude's uh, performance. And it feels like for the evil dummy things, maybe I just am thinking of like Slappy and Goosebump. So, of course, that's going to be more overt where, you know, you always have the moment if it's like a is the dummy real or is it not thing where it just feels so clearly like the dummy's going out of control and it must be its own uh, consciousness or, or whatever. You know, it must be a real evil dummy. This, the his performance, it just felt like it was on, on that exact creepy, eerie level of at any given time, it just felt like it could go either way, but there was definitely something wrong about it. Just it was never too much or too little in the amount of that the dummy was sort of taking on its own personality in a way that's made the whole thing really effective. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of dummy, uh, dummy oh, no? horror. Oh, of dummy what, horror, I, okay. And what I mean by that is I find it extremely creepy. Oh, okay. So it it's effective. Like, you do like it. I do like it, but I, yeah, I'm... I find it to be extremely creepy. It's like <laughs> yeah. dolls, you know. I don't yeah. like dolls either. Um, so it is good horror. I love this. Just there's a thing that they do that is so cool in the first I don't know five minutes of it when it, when he's sort of performing his ventriloquism act. You can see that he's keeping his mouth just a little bit open as a ventriloquist would, right? Because he's making the voice. And you can kind of occasionally see his, like, tongue or his sort of, like, teeth, I guess, moving. I mean, this is the human I'm talking about. Um, Providing the voice. So, like, they sell that. And then there comes this point when he just has his mouth closed and and the, you know, the dummy, which, whose name I forget... Uh, or just open slightly, you know, where he's right. not doing it quite as much. Where it's like now it's just we're moving toward it it legitimately not being him making that voice. And I love that detail. There was that one point where the overlap between God, it was like it was the dummy or him kind of more making a sound or muttering or laughing or something. But, but, but it's basically like, you know, with a ventriloquist, they, you never see them making a noise at the same time. Right. But it was the, they, they had this moment where it was like handing off. It was just so close who was making a noise at any given time that you kept going almost like a Ouija board. Wait, were you moving it? Wait, were, it was like, wait, did he just, <laughs> yeah, uh, was that, that's just him or was that wait what what it was that overlap was there it was incredible yeah i think all of that was very very purposefully done and and like constructed to make us feel more and more and more uncomfortable it just sells it so much so much um the the design of the puppet i'll I'll pay it respect and not call it a dummy um (laughs) The design of the dummy, it's, I mean the puppet. It's called a vent- the ventriloquist dummy. I know. Who you call uh, a dummy, dummy? <laughs> like I just, it's it's just creepy enough. They always are, so it's not like outside of the, the norm, but it, 
I don't know. It, it is creepy. The mouth, man, that mouth is freaky. It and really you can call bothers me. Hugo is. Oh, right. Yeah. Hugo. Right. They yes. added some kind of like, <laughs> like skin flaps or something. Yes. <laughs> on the mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I just and and the other ventriloquist is so good. He's like, I don't know. There's something about. I I actually wondered if he wasn't some famous ventriloquist of of the era or something because he he felt so real, like a real person. Um, but that whole sequence of of him being invited, <laughs> him being invited back to the dressing room, and the first moment of him be you know hearing the the hugo's voice and being like wow that's pretty impressive thinking that this is all still part of the act like i just love that whole thing where he has to i mean he's us right he's sort of we're we're watching this unfold through him in a way and the 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 breakdown of Maxwell, the the ventri- the operator of Hugo, from from the point of uh, the actual performance falling apart to the dressing room and seeing how this is affecting him and not really knowing yet like what's going on. The performance of that and the and the despair that the actor Michael Redgrave has in that dressing room scene is so effective. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he's trapped. He's really panicked. And he like doesn't have an out. And like that that in and of itself is super scary to me. It, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking if uh in this this kind of story we have the the almost the audience surrogates of characters who at any given point we're wondering or we're witnessing how much are they they believing the possibility of this dummy maybe having some kind of life of its own right spirit of its own so to have that have its own arc that ends with they are somehow wrapped up in the reality of this dummy's uh uh character or personhood or whatever that at the end when uh he's getting strangled and quote unquote killed they like rush in like they have to save him it's it's like it's could be i don't know like i don't know at, at one hand it, it just feels a little hokey and like come on really but you're caught up with it and it like works in the context of the movie and just says and does something really interesting that i think it does work in the end I think why it works partially is that if you completely eliminated the the conceit, I guess, that the that Hugo and Maxwell are two separate entities and just look at it from the perspective of this is somebody who is losing their mind. It's still incredibly scary because like, yeah, I mean, he's let's just say that 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 Hugo is just an extension of him spiraling into insanity. Like there is no Hugo there. Mm -hmm. There is in his mind, 
but like there there isn't actually and like i just that's so scary to me that he's like having that battle in his head if that's what how you want to take it well it's it is and it's i think it's a scary thing i mean could really look at it from a lot of angles but there's always that idea that characters in movies or characters in books when we're reading them there's you know they're essentially real people to us you know so just the idea of being a person who's maybe a bit more timid or less forthright to be responsible and connected to the personality of an outgoing dummy the idea that you know is is on you and in you to be the um conduit of just that idea of like it in itself is such a strong thing it's forcing me out it's almost like looking at it from a possession angle Mm -hmm. you know there's something about it i don't know it's when putting in the terms you're putting it makes me look at it that way well it's also there's i mean there's i just think it's really cool to look at from this sort of multi-faceted psychological like what is like which psychology theory could you you know ascribe to this like we all have kind of positive and negative components to how we view ourselves and how we view our identity and i love stories that kind of point at this 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 idea or this i guess I don't know if it's a theory so much, but just the idea that you you view, we all view even our worst um, tendencies as a part of our d- identity. And a lot of the time, if you were to eliminate those negative tendencies, you would effectively kill your sense of your own identity. And I think we're often really scared of that. It's like what keeps us in these pa- like bad habits or bad patterns a lot of the time is that we form this identity around those things a lot of the time. And like this, this you could look at this story through that lens of like, he's nothing without Hugo. I think that's, I mean, something you said in there is why I think all that is ripe for horror is because our default approach to those sides of ourselves or our Hugos or Hugos is to smash it, kill it, right? That's right. But you can't do that to an aspect of yourself. That's right. In fact, to try (laughs) to kill it or cut it off uh, uh, as we learn in other horror movie monsters only makes it stronger. So it's that old quote, you know, friend of the devil a friend of mine that's the only really approach in the end we have i love confronting that notion because it is a really hard thing to look at i think just from a basic human level and a hard thing to kind of parse out like who am i who am i in in relation to other people who am i in relation to myself like my good qualities my bad qualities all of that is making up your identity and you don't really get to like slice it up and and throw certain parts of that away. I mean, yeah. you can try to, I guess, improve upon those things. But I just, I love how like the terror that gets wrapped up in looking at those things because it is inherently scary. Like, oh man, you can't kill off this part of yourself or else you will be killed. It is a part of you. 
it's why when we see the smashed dummy there, there's a part of us that is a little sad. In yeah. a way. Well, all that is a great angle to look at uh, evil ventriloquist dummy, you know, short story, short film at. But then there's just the satisfaction, the visceralness of like that Chucky gets at of seeing a dummy run at us and and do its thing, you know, all out as a killer dummy. So now what was so brilliant in this film is that, okay, well, to do that in the little short would have totally made it something it shouldn't have been and ruined it if, like, somehow in the ventriloquist dummy, it actually uh, became able-bodied and was running all around. That would really kill the tone and story that was that was uh, aiming at. But thanks to this brilliant wraparound conception of having all these aspects appear in the, his nightmare he's having, we do still get the satisfaction in this film of having <laughs> the evil dummy uh, Hugo appear and run at him and strangle him and climb up on the chair or the bed or wherever he's on. Um, so yep. it was just really had to... Got to Talk have our cake theory. and eat our two, you know? Some little kid with a Hugo mask, like, <laughs> getting up and crawling onto a bed. I was like, oh! <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway, so that made it fun to tie it all together, which we've already... Yeah, I mean, I think all in all, this is a really... Look, I think at the end of the day, the biggest takeaway for me is that this was in 1945. Like, yeah. all of my complaints about it are only in relation to like things they were inhibited by technologically and I guess a little bit in the just sort of the tonality of the era. Yeah. But so pretty incredible that one of the earliest horror anthologies is one of the better ones, I think. Right. And to think that this is 15, 14 years before the twilight zone Mm -hmm. and like i just i feel like you could put any one of these stories up against a twilight zone episode and be like yep those are about on par yeah including the portmanteau or wraparound (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) all right very much so i mean it just makes me wonder how influential this movie was at the at in that era like what was it considered like one of the great you know, I don't know, horror films of the time. Well, save that thought for our last section. Things okay. out. Save that question. But for now, let's get it out of the way. It sounds like we're done with what did work. So let's see if anything did not work. It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> Well, I guess just to follow up on what I was saying more specifically, like there's some stiltedness, I guess, that I just, you know, I just would say is a product of the time. Um, I can't really say that it didn't work overall, but it just sort of is like, I don't know, like eh, kind of makes you go, all right, let's let's move. Let's move forward here. Um, like the, what were you talking about? Uh, well, like this, the sort of the language around like the sexist language and stuff and like just mm. this, this construct of a couple of those things or how people talk to each other just didn't. I was just like, ugh, 
yeah, that stuff that existed. Um, but you can't really, you can't really blame it. Like the, you can't blame the movie for that. It it's of its time. It's just a thing that I kind of go, oh god. Um, the there's some pretty bad voiceover matching. That's and again, that's just <laughs> that's just a techno technological like whatever problem that they had to solve. They, I, I, it's like, am I really criticizing the movie for that? No, but d- did it distract me at times? Yes, and. Like you had said, I think a couple of them drag on a little too much. Like we could have wrapped it up just a touch faster than than we did. But beyond that, like I just don't really have any other like there's no specific thing where I'm like, gosh, this really doesn't work. Yeah, it was weird. My things were just kind of on that that things that yeah, I wonder if on a second viewing wouldn't bother me as much were just having them kind of increase in length as they go kind of threw me off after kind of getting used to these mm-hmm. nice sort of like set up chunk of the movie, fun little story ending, boom, boom, boom. Uh, yeah. it, I just know, think the whole movie, it's 103 minutes long and it could have easily been 93 minutes and it would have been like perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, they did uh, do for the US cut, they did, uh, I think they cut out maybe two of the stories. What? Yeah, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> they definitely cut out the uh, the golf one, um, but I think they <laughs> cut they cut out the Christmas party too. I remember them saying, "Oh man, well that is kind of a thing of note." Are we already? Can we can we already yeah. jump to that? Or Why not? all right, then here we go. Things of note. This should be interesting. I'd like to just say that it it, it, it it's noteworthy that the, there's a difference after a, a day of like going to sleep, waking up, and talking about this from my like initial reaction last night when I finished watching. I was just sort of like, okay, that was a movie, <laughs> but now looking back on it, I'm and like having that night's rest to like i guess refresh my brain it is pretty i'm i'm on a different tune (laughs) well yeah i mean it's it is kind of like uh the one i'll keep referring to this is um one of my all-time favorites now carnival of souls where i remember the first time i watched that it was just like I don't know, like like maybe I had almost dreamed it or something. I don't know. This 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 film, like that film, it it uh like some of the best horror movies, it just kind of haunts you afterwards. Mm. Like I remember uh my good friend who might be listening showing his favorite horror movie, The Exorcist, to his wife for the first time, who's not really one to watch horror movies, but she knew it was his favorite. And I was like, you know what? Let's do it, let's watch it. And he said, uh, and, you know, she was maybe kind of playing down, you know, okay, you know, probably built it up in her head or whatever. But then he said that she said after the fact, kind of like, it's kind of sticking with me, you know, it's kind of, there's something about these effective horror movies, they, they catch up with you. There was a feeling that was there that if you're just kind of paying attention to the, the outwardness of it all, you may overlook on a, on a sort of, uh, in a first intellectual, um, uh, d- uh, discernment of what you thought of it. 
Yeah. Anyways, but well, you were actually there's the its influence on you thus far, but you're asking it's on its influence with other filmmakers and such. Uh, right. Like, was it considered at the time a big deal? It did well at the box office, but as far as its legacy, Martin Scorsese placed it fifth on his list of eleven scariest horror films of all time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, all right, that's cool. That's saying something. And then well, the now one I want to know what are the <laughs> what are <laughs> right the other uh, the other ten. But the one that I just uh, realized as far as influence, and this is the kind of thing whether it's conscious or not. Uh, who knows, doesn't really matter. But John Landis, who went on to make, um, God, what was it called? Uh, Amazon Woman on the Moon, horror antho- uh, not a horror anthology, but anthology film, but American Werewolf in London. Like you mentioned, that aspect of falling in love with a nurse and having mm. your ghost friend visit you. Yeah. Like two different stories yep. in this movie. And he's in the <laughs> special features talking about this movie. So he's clearly is a fan. Um, so it has its influence. And then someone else who was, I was trying to find his connection to it, but he's, his name's Reese Shearsmith. He's a like British actor, filmmaker, writer. He's known, I know him originally from this weird TV show called the league of gentlemen. That's super dark, but mm. his, the other actors and filmmakers on that TV show are the ones who made ghost stories, which he reviewed. So I was kind of looking for the connection with him, but it seems like just, yeah, there are, there are English filmmakers who at least are able to make, and John Landis and Scorsese, who are able to make a conscious connection to its influence for them. But um, cool. it's funny seeing now and seeing without even having seen it, I feel like it's kind of on stuff I'm working on. I can, you know, see connections totally. and whatnot. It's like, this is some great stuff that's it's there. And uh whether we've seen it or not, you know, it was uh, all, all more evidence for how it was ahead of its time in a way, I think, and really well done. I agree. I think, yeah, that's one of the big things to me is that it does feel about 15 years, maybe 20 years ahead of its time. Yeah. And uh, you're curious, well, is this the first horror anthology? What else are we looking at here? The first one I could track down, I could find Unheimlich Geschichten or... Wait, let me tell you what that means. <laughs> what is it? Umheimlich Geschichten? Yeah. God, what would that mean? I I I really would like to go relearn German. Um, does it mean Heimlich? What does that mean? This all sounds very familiar. I don't remember. It says literally translates to uncanny stories, but uh titled it in English Eerie Tales was okay. a nineteen 19- 19 German silent anthology film. Wow. That uh, it was split into five stories, like some of them spooky, Edgar Allan Poe, Robert Louis Stevenson stories, ghost stories, things like that. And then the filmmaker later remade the film again in 1932 as The Living Dead was the title. So Mm -hmm. 1919 and 1932, same filmmaker made... uh, was I guess the earliest earliest examples of hornthologies. And then we had another German film called Waxworks, which was from 1924, obviously another silent one at the time. Uh, and it was like someone who the wraparound is someone who accepts a job at a as a waxworks at a waxworks museum, I guess, and the different exhibits spur the telling of 
these different stories. And then the earliest one in the States is from 1943, so two years before Dead of Night, called Flesh and Fantasy. Whoa. (laughs) And that (laughs) one, it was like one of the stories, or it looks like a few of them had uh, supernatural themes it's tied together. The three segments was a conversation about the occult between two clubmen. So those are the ones before this one, cool. 1935. Yeah, that was interesting. Been Exciting. around pretty much for the whole. I mean, that first one, 1919. It's over a hundred <laughs> years old, <now>. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned how that one story was based on the H.G. Wells, the golf one. Mm-hmm. It was actually it was like they. It was, in essence, they got the rights or whatever. That is pretty much they only played that up and used it for the advertising. That was, ba- <laughs> well, you know, based on HULs, a story bond, based on HULs. But apparently, they took very, very little from the story and just kind of it just had something to do with uh, interacting with a ghost who is in limbo. And the aspect that they said that they took from it was where he does that weird little like hits his body different ways <laughs> as kind of like. <laughs> Uh, an exercise to try to get out of limbo. That was a device that was they took from the H.G. Wells story. So okay. <laughs> it's kind of funny. They This ended up then just using his name to help advertise it. Um, the Christmas story one was based on a really well-known murder at the time mm. the, where it was um, a woman who killed her younger brother, just like, yeah, in the movie. But what was interesting, the behind the scenes, they pointed out how that killer who kind of you know disappeared into obscurity or whatever she died the same year the movie came out so it was a weird kind of passing Ooh. off uh, but like i guess just a few months before the movie came out so wow didn't i don't i don't want to say like oh poor her she never got to see it but there's something just weird or interesting <laughs> that Jesus. she could have seen it but just missed it or i don't know that timing's interesting yeah Really interesting. I don't. I didn't quite follow how they, they this would have played out, but they said that the idea for that this is all in a loop ending wasn't originally written for it. It happened by accident when they were screening. You know, as they are working on it, print of the films, the producers and the projectionist messed up and had the last reel start playing after. Uh, or the first reel start playing after the last reel again. And then that just gave them the idea of like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense for our story here. If it's oh all in a dream, to keep continuing. So what I was saying was that original ending of like, you know, could have worked. You can't, uh, I don't know. It was almost like I did feel where it would come up saying the end, you know, right at the end of the nightmare when he's going off into the darkness in that doorway. But uh, apparently all by serendipity, or accident, if you want to, whatever you want to call it. I love stuff ending. like that. I had that happen to a, a short film of mine where I had I had accidentally moved part of of the of the edit to the to the back end of it, and it was just like a, a cut that was in the wrong place, and and it played out and like kind of abruptly cut to nothing, and I was like, whoa. That's a way better ending than what I had. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I was like, I think I'm just gonna keep that. Cool. Well, uh, on telling anecdotes, I was curious uh, to follow up with you, Tim. Like, you don't have to uh, only delve in as much as you want to. But you said you had the other day 
an instance of feeling like you were a, a dream deja vu. Oh as yeah. You put it. Can you can you just I don't know, just I'm curious. Yeah, let me meant. try to describe it. I feel like it's always a weird thing to try to describe. So I was at a um I you know, I have this baseball team that I play with and um we we were short two players and um they they basically called last second and were like, "Oh, we can't make it." So then we didn't have enough guys to to play the game. And so we just we're standing there in this limbo of like, well, what do we do? Do we try to convince the other team to like play a few innings just for fun or or whatever? And we were all just standing there in a very specific place on a particular field that we've only been on like one time before. And we were t- having a conversation about a totally different player from a different team. And I just was standing there and suddenly feeling like we have had this exact conversation, which I guess is possible. But the way it felt was it was two things. You know, sometimes when you have deja vu, at least for me, that the feeling is just familiarity. But this was both familiarity and felt like I had had a dream that this instance had occurred. And when I said that I was having deja vu... Everybody kind of was like, oh, that's cool. And like made some comment about it. And I was like, oh, this was in the dream too. Like me saying I was having deja vu. It was very strange. But really, I mean, you know, I like those moments. I think they're always fun and weird. It doesn't make me feel bad. I just go, oh, freaky. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Uh, All these guys being interviewed on the special features pointed out it's weird to think this is a thing of note of a mission almost, but I thought it was interesting that this film, even though it's released in 45 and made that same time, obviously there's no mention of the war. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think world war two would be on all these characters kinds of like you would, you would feel it, you would know it, you know, even if it, if they're at the point where it was just ending, uh, so that just all gives the feel of that helps to all give the feel of it being dreamlike and sort of not mm-hmm. being set in a specific time or place. Totally. Yeah. Like you want to be able to go, okay, does that make it make it? So it's just before world war two started. Is this 1939 earlier or is there, are we just supposed to hope the wars ended and this takes place right afterwards. Cause um, by no mention of it, it was a pretty smart decision to do that in order to help keep it like a dream. Yeah. But um, hmm. that's it's cool. that's, that's what I think. Like, I mean, you think like, oh, well, was that deliberate almost because it's, you know, not included, but it seems like it's so predominant that, uh, you know, when you're writing something at the time, you have to imagine it crosses your mind, whether you include uh, that so. or not. <laughs> but I mean, having said that right now, I'm working on a script and, you know, it, it has to take place pre-pandemic in order for it to work at all. And so it's just a conceit that I have to make. I'm like, okay, it's, it's, you know, 2017. Yeah. It's really interesting. Now that is a question as creators, what we sort of, do they have where you see them, people sort of starting to deal with it different ways now, you know, where we get it. They didn't want to make like all of, 
the Righteous Gemstones new season with them wearing masks. But I feel like there's this one reference where they like they reference a pande- the pandemic in like a little off the cuff way, kind of. It's sort of like there you miss it or you just sort of set your movie in a, well, this is movie world, so it doesn't right. matter. Oh, yeah, really interesting. We're all going to deal with that. Um, the last thing I had, just thought it was interesting. So this was before the term horror movie came uh, <laughs> to modern. <laughs> I, I forgot how to say this word last episode too. Parlance, par- parlance, parlance. So two different terms that was used to describe this film one was comedy melodrama. The LA Times <laughs> described it as psychological thriller. So it's hey. kind of all over the map, you know, what it could be called before we had that term horror. That was interesting. That's cool. Um, I just wanted to say, if anybody was wondering, just to pay it off, since we mentioned this Scorsese 11 um, scariest horror films, I'll just give a rundown of it. We've seen, we've covered six of them on the show. So that's cool. The Innocence was one of them. Yes. <laughs> so Psycho, we did. The Innocence. Night of the Demon. Um, Dead of Night, obviously this one. The Entity. And The Uninvited are the six that we've covered. Now the other five, I would say only one of them is sort of quote unquote obscure. The other five are The Haunting, which is kind of like, obviously, The Changeling, The Shining, The Exorcist, right? Those those four are, I would put, I think most people put those four on top whatever lists. But this one I've never heard of, and it's a Val Luton film. It's called Isle of the Dead, and it's from 1945 as well. Um, so I'm kind of curious. It looks like it might be kind of a two- um, like a double feature thing. I don't know. I'll, we'll I'll have to dive in a little bit further just on first glance, but it's got Boris Karloff. So, you know, what more could you ask for? <laughs> Not a lot. You're right. Cool. Val yeah. Luton and, and Boris Karloff. It's like, yeah, sure. I don't know if I've seen that one. I don't know. I'm looking at it. I don't think I have. Interesting. Cool. Well, I think we should put it in the back pocket and maybe return Great. to it at some point. Sounds good. Yeah. Then we'll have completed the list of not 10, but 11 <laughs> of his <laughs> favorite horror films. Had to get in Isle of the Dead, Scorsese, old Marty. All right. Cool. Well, Tim, if that's it for Dead of Night, we like to wind down with our recommendations. Yes, our recommendations. Um, well, I mean, I'm going to be one of those guys. And, you know, because this is who I am, the latest comic book movie has arrived and it is goddamn glorious. It's one of the greatest three hour movies I've ever seen. And that's not saying much, but because there aren't that many three hour movies. Um, But the Batman is it's legit. I mean, it is ridiculously good. And I will go see it again in the theater, which is kind of like the highest praise I think I can give to a film. Well, I have not seen it yet i will go see it per your record. all you robert pattinson haters need to go home and shut your butts because it's so good stop with the hate do people still do that i feel like yes he's it's wild to me he's got the "Eh, robert pattinson so he they here it's either this they're like he's uh he's too like goth like uh whiny or he's too good looking or 
they just reference that he's a douchebag because he was in Twilight. It's like, dude, sh- stop. He's done like 15 movies that are so good that maybe, nobody's seen. Maybe it's just the circles I followed him, but I'd like to think that that has tipped the other direction now. We have like videos going around of people freaking out when he surprisingly, you know, shows up at screenings. We've had him in The Lighthouse. We've had him work with Cronenberg. So, so I... And people know that. I, I, I That's would, what I don't understand is how, how it still is a thing that I keep running into where I'm like, are you serious? I would be willing to bet a lot of our listeners right now, the majority of them like him. If you don't, good. let us know and let us know why. Because I really think what you're saying uh, is applicable more 2013 and we've reached a new... <laughs> You're still in those circles. Time to I think Robert Pattinson liking him is is in and hip and cool now. That's right. You don't even have to like him. Just like this like undue hatred that he gets is just so dumb. Like, I think get over tw- it. Also, Twilight is old enough now. I think people have <laughs> right? gotten over it. So uh Yeah. I wouldn't worry as much as you may be. It's I don't well, I think we're in I don't good worry hit. so much as just I'm shocked every time I hear it and I am hearing it. All right. I'm just like, oh God. Well, stop listening Go to see those the movie. People. It's so good. I uh I was looking at what I watched. I, I really haven't been watching too much these days. I'm I'm finally catching up now. I picked up some other movies at Video Tech. We rented Dead of Night. I'm gonna finally watch Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy, and <laughs> nice. uh The Sword and the Sorcerer. I haven't seen. Oh wow. So maybe I can recommend Ed those next time. But for now, I don't know. I j- just in just in the spirit of we can recommend dead anything, I, I feel like a lot of you are already good about this, but I will just recommend dead going for a walk. Oh, yeah. I did that uh, two nights ago. In the spirit of uh, Tim's hike, too. But, you know, it doesn't have to be a hike, just like Tim said, just just a walk. But I feel like you're pretty good about that. So only if, if you needed a, little, um, needed a little incentive. There you go from me to you. On our night walk the other night, two nights ago, we were crossing, we were like in my neighborhood in the sort of not on a main street. And there was this moment where we looked over, we heard something and it was a woman walking up an outside staircase to the second level of an apartment building. And like we were under a street lamp and the light from the street lamp and the light from the doorway at the top of these steps that she was standing in and her she's wearing like a long black dress was like so cinematic i like very rushedly grabbed my phone and like took a picture and it is such a cool weird freaky picture so maybe i'll put it on our instagram people can decide if they think it looks cool cool that's a fun creepy note to end on here yeah uh so we'll be back in two weeks now or every other week in closing whether you aren't sure you're just in a dream on repeat or not thanks for listening and we will see you next time and time and time goodbye bye <laughs>